0: Alright, so we are um, finishing up in July Proverbs, the book of Proverbs. So this week and next week will be our final two weeks, Lord willing, in this book. And as we are finishing up this series, uh, after spending four months studying Proverbs, I've been thinking a lot about what I hope and pray that as a church we take away from this series Uh, What what it is that I am really asking of the Lord that He would accomplish. And obviously, becoming a wise church is in line with this book and, and the purpose of us studying it. But I've also asked for some other things, things that I think it would be really good for us to understand. One of the big things that I hope we understand after many months in Proverbs is that ultimately it is all about Jesus. And and that's not just a statement or a phrase uh, that's Christianese. Like really the entire book of Proverbs is about Christ because Jesus was the personification of wisdom. He was wisdom in person form. And so the reason I think that's so important for us to know is that if we aim our lives to become godly, wise people, that means we're aiming to become like Christ. And the more we are becoming like Jesus, the more we are becoming wise. So when you study Proverbs, and I hope that you will, even after this series, I hope you will continue to take in these wise sayings. And as you do that, as you take in these practical wise sayings from, from Proverbs, you are learning to live like Jesus did. We saw that a little bit last week when we looked at Contentment and generosity and how wise people are people who are content with what God has provided for them that was needful for them and how they are generous with those things. And Jesus modeled that. Jesus was content with His Father and in His Father's will. He was the wisest man who ever lived and He was the most generous man who ever lived. And this week we're talking about peacemaking. Wise people are people who make peace. And we definitely see this in the life of Jesus. So let's pray for our time in the Word, and then let's study this together. Father, I thank You for our gathering today and all that are here. God, I know that many are missing that are traveling or sick, and and Father, we do pray for them. We ask God that you would, you would bless them and keep them, help them to rejoice. And those who are sick, that you would bring healing to them. We pray for protection over our church. Father, in, a, in times of illness, dear Lord, in a, in a season of illness, we ask God, um, that you would protect us from those things and that we would be able to gather together, dear Lord, corporately to worship and in small groups as well. Father, I ask for your blessing over our time today. And I confess to You, dear Lord, that this is utter foolishness unless You are with us. So I pray for an anointing and a power to preach about Your Word, that You would give me the words to talk about Your Word that are good and helpful, and that You would keep me from saying anything that is unhelpful. And I also pray, Father, that You would give us ears to hear that we might worship in Your Word. We've sung about that today, God to build our lives on Your love, on Your Word, that Your words are life to us. And so I pray today, God, that we would hear, not just naturally, but supernaturally, that You would help us to worship by understanding Your Word and seeking to plan to apply it to our lives. I pray that You'd protect us from distractions, and God, from the natural um, things that we struggle with, dear Lord. Uh, I pray that you would give us attentive hearts and ears today. And I ask, God, that you would move among us in power through your word, making us wise people and helping us to learn today about the wisdom of peacemaking. In your name we pray. Amen. If you are a note taker and you grab one of the worship guides, we will start with this life truth today talking about the wisdom of peacemaking. The life truth is this. Jesus came to make peace among His people. This peace is centered on Him. Jesus came to make peace among His people. And this peace that we're talking about is entirely centered on Him. It's centered on Christ. So in our opening passage this morning from Ephesians 2, Paul is writing and he is painting this picture of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. And it is important for us to meditate on that over and over and over and over again. What Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. And Paul is writing primarily to non-Jewish Christians called Gentiles. And he is asking them as part of this letter to remember about how at one time they did not enjoy the benefits of being called one of God's own children. And I say this to us a lot, but being a child of God is not, that is not a term that is universally applied to all people. Even though that is kind of a culturally popular thing to say that we're all God's children, we all are created in his image. But the term child of God is reserved for the people of God. Those who call upon His name. And Paul is reminding these Gentiles that there was a time where that benefit was not theirs. Where they were actually excluded from the kingdom of God. And they had no hope in this life. And he uses these words, you were separated, you were alienated, you were strangers. Now, what's interesting about this is that when Paul wrote this letter, is roughly around 30 years or so after the resurrection of Jesus. So depending on their age, many people reading this letter had known the privilege of the gospel maybe their entire life. They had grown up hearing about the gospel. Perhaps they were saved at a young age. And like many of us in this room, many of us growing up in the South, we've always lived with the knowledge of God's love. Many of us, since we were young, we have been told, God loves you. And so we've always known that. But Paul is asking the Christians in Ephesus, just as he is asking Christians today, to think historically to how things were before the death of Christ and to consider what your life would be like if Christ had not come and made that sacrifice. See, if you don't take time to sometimes think about that, to think deeply about what it would look like for you if Jesus had not come to die on the cross, if you don't take time to think about that, you will not truly understand the value of your salvation. Privilege is a blessing until you take it for granted. When something that is a great privilege becomes commonplace to you, you start treating it as something that is normative, common. You don't think about what a privilege it is. It'd be like a person who grows up in an in affluent in a house where they have everything they need all the time and that they never want anything. It's very difficult for them to appreciate what it would mean to be poor. Many of us have grown up in the riches of the gospel. And we have a need to think and ponder what it would be like if we were still poor in spirit without Jesus. So when Paul says in verse 13, but now, he is saying, never forget that Jesus has changed everything for you. So listen to these words one more time. But now, church, in Christ... You who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for He is our peace. He has made both groups one. And he's talking there about Gentiles and Jews. And He has tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In His flesh, He made of no effect the law consisting of commands and regulations. And he did this so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put hostility to death. I said in this live truth that Jesus came to make peace among his people. I want you to think about that in two ways. First, peace with God. When we say that Jesus came to make peace among His people, the first type of peace we're talking about is peace with God. No one prior to Christ had complete peace with God. Not even the Jews. Not even the called, chosen people of God who had the covenant of God had complete peace with God. The Jews were often, in Paul's language, near to God in their proximity of worship. They had a tabernacle or a temple. They could go there. They could make sacrifices. They carried the name of God. They lived in the land of God that He had promised them for much of their history. So they were near to Him in proximity, but they were not close to Him in heart and holiness. They couldn't stay there. Even if they could get close to Him in heart in their affections for a moment, something would always pull them away. They did not have complete peace. And then Gentiles, which would be, I assume all of us in this room, non-Jews, Gentiles certainly were far away in Paul's language because their families worshipped many gods. They could only see from a distance the work of God and the people of God. And so Jesus came down from heaven and He gave up His life. He was beaten, bloodied, and murdered on a cross so that both of these groups, those near and those far away, could be brought together in peace. They could be brought together with a clear conscience before God. And you and I today benefit from that same gospel. The reason that you can love God in your heart if you do is because of what Jesus did. Without Christ, the most that you would be able to do is some type of religious practice where maybe you could train yourself to on a routine basis do some religious things that really would not ultimately impact you. If you love God in your heart truly, Love Him in your heart. The only reason that you can do that is because Christ has made a way for you to have a new heart that loves God. So my encouragement to you is fight to rejoice in that always. Fight yourself. Fight your flesh. Fight your temptation to see your Christian life as something commonplace. Fight to have joy in what Christ has accomplished for you on the cross. And even if you've been blessed with a really long life in Jesus, don't let the blessing of that long Christian walk rob from you the wonder of the privilege of being called a child of God. Jesus came to help all people have peace with God. Secondly, when we say Jesus came to make peace among His people, we mean peace with one another. If He has come to help all people that will look to Him have peace with God, then He has also come that we may have peace with one another. In that Old Testament worship system, Gentiles could go to the temple. But when they got there, there was an area that they had to remain in. It was the court of the Gentiles. And and they were not allowed to go into the inner parts of the temple where the Jewish people were. That was reserved for the Jews. And there was actually an inscription on the wall that separated where the Gentiles could be from where the Jews could be. And the inscription on that wall warned the Gentiles that they were in danger of death if they entered into the part of the temple that was only for the people of God, the Jews. I imagine that is what Paul had in mind when he said, Christ has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. Gentiles are no longer separated from the Jews. That wall, in a spiritual sense, no longer exists. Because Christ has come to bring peace. Because being a child of God is no longer attained in being obedient to religious regulations. Instead, Paul says that there is now only one person. And that person is a Christian. A Christian who has access to the Father by their faith in the work of Jesus. Doesn't matter if you're Jewish doesn't matter if you're non Jewish. Doesn't matter what your race, your culture, your background. Doesn't matter. There's one person that enters the kingdom of God. One and only one. A Christian. Someone who has placed their faith in the work of Christ. And a Christian is of all colors, all backgrounds, Jews and Gentiles alike. It is difficult, I think, for you and I to understand some of that. Right? That whole idea of Jews and Gentiles being divided, that's difficult. We can, we can read about it and think about it, but let me put it in terms that we can understand. There are still many dividing walls of hostility among people today. There are still, if we allowed them, many dividing walls of hostility even among the people of God. I don't even think I have to point them out to you. There are many, 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 many things that we would allow to separate us from other people. There are many, many things that we would allow to cause us to look side-eyed at someone else, even in the church. We have these natural motivations to separate ourselves from one another. And those motivations are ever increasing in a world whose love is growing cold. Even when it comes to evangelism. If we're really honest with ourselves, there are some people that we either don't really have a heart to see them come to know Christ. Or we don't really think much about it. We assume they're hopeless. They have some ideology or some way of life that is so, so frustrating to our flesh that we don't even think about what it would mean for them to come to know Jesus. But if we're wise, then we will know as a church that we must live in such a way that displays to people Christ is our peace. Peace. Why should there be no divisions in this church? Or any church, but this is the one that that we're responsible for. Why should there be no divisions in this church? Because Christ is our peace. If we center everything on Him, then there should be no wall of division that is able to separate us, because He's the great equalizer. He has come to bring peace between us and God, and peace with one another. If we try to find peace outside of Him, we're going to fail. But if we place our attention, and if we are primarily affectionate for Jesus, then there will be no hostility among us. That doesn't mean we won't sometimes struggle with one another in personality or offense. Those kinds of things will happen with any group of people. But if we love Jesus supremely in this place, then there's nothing that can divide this place. It is only when we love something more than we love Jesus that we will introduce division. Because then we will defend that thing that we love with all of our heart. This life truth continued. The first part... Jesus came to make peace among His people, and that peace is centered on Him. Peace with God, peace with one another. And then we'll continue. The peace of Christ is never obtained through compromise of truth. It is never obtained through compromise of truth. But it will often demand sacrifice of self. The peace of Christ is never attained by compromising truth, but it will often demand sacrifice of self. The wise seek to be like Jesus, building bridges where they can among all people. Paul said in in verses 19 through 22 to the church, You're no longer strangers, but your fellow citizens. You are members of God's household. You are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. With Christ Jesus Himself as the cornerstone. In Him, in Jesus, you are being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. That last sentence, the church, the people of God, all of you in this room, those watching on replay who call themselves Christians, God is doing something. He is building you up into this spiritual building where His presence will dwell on the earth. That is... Utterly mis- a mystery and utterly amazing at the same time. That we are the place where God's presence would dwell, His Spirit will move among us. But how are we being built up? On the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. That's the Word of God. With Jesus Christ Himself as the cornerstone, who gives the whole building its, found, its structure, its position. He's the most important piece of the church the fact that we're built on Him and the foundation of the apostles and the prophets means we cannot compromise truth ever. You don't make peace with one another and with anyone by ignoring what God's Word says. That is peacemaking the way the world makes peace. We can't ignore His Word. We can't alter His Word. As a matter of fact, Jesus said that is the only kind of division that you cannot avoid. There will ultimately be people who hate you because you hold to the truth of God's Word. And unless they come to know Christ, there'll be nothing you can do about that. But, but, I think what happens is sometimes we get ingrained by this culture. We assume there is no hope for peacemaking. We assume we're always going to be at war with other people. And we start viewing other people as our divisive enemy rather than viewing them as someone who may, could come, and know Jesus. We are called to be peacemakers. Peacemakers. If we cannot make peace because someone in order to be in a unified relationship with us wants us to compromise or ignore the Word of God, then we can't go there with them. But we should strive to do everything we can to build bridges and make peace with people as it is within our power to do. Because that's what Jesus did. And that will be hard and it will often require of us that we sacrifice our own selves and what we want and how we want to act and what we want to say and and how we want to carry ourselves in order to be bridge builders and peacemakers. We keep seeking peace. Harmony and Christian friendship in the church and outside the church, those who are near and those who are far away, and we do that by clinging to what Jesus has said and what He has showed us. Set your whole life with this goal, and you'll never accomplish it, but you can work toward it to be like Jesus, filled with grace and truth. He wasn't a balanced man. Some grace, some truth. He was full of both. He never compromised on truth, but He was always a gracious, gracious person. And at times where that division reared its head and and we see a stern Jesus, it was normally aimed at people who were trying to thwart the Gospel by religious practice. Jesus was a peacemaker. He was a bridge builder. He was called a friend of sinners because He went to places that the Jewish religious establishment didn't think He should go. Not to engage in in their sin and, and do sin, but to try and make peace with people who were far from God. And He brought together His own people my my son and I were watching some of the 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 chosen again last night it's just to we enjoy that in our home if, if you know what that video series is but I love how they depicted when when Jesus calls Matthew the tax collector these these were these were Jewish men who were hated by their own people and and in the in the in the episode when he when they calls Matthew. Like Peter runs up to Jesus and says, Whoa, 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 whoa. Him? No, we don't know if that actually happened, but I'm pretty sure it did. Because Jesus put together an eclectic group of people. A Jewish zealot and a Jewish tax collector. You can't really get more on the extreme of the political spectrum than that in that day. And Jesus brought them together and made peace in Himself. We are called to do that. We are called to be peacemakers and bridge builders inside the church and outside the church. And Proverbs shows us that wise people promote peace wherever they can. And I want us to see this morning, I think I have five ways here that we see in Proverbs. This is not all-encompassing, but five practical ways that wise people promote peace and in doing so, become more like Jesus. Number one... Wise people promote peace through methods of de-escalation. Wise people, people who are bridge building, peacemakers like Jesus was, they, when possible, they promote peace through methods of de-escalation. In other words, wise people don't stir up anger among others. Wise people are not what we call pot stirrers. And we see that in our text today, the, opening, the uh, sermon text, Proverbs 29.8. Scoffers, scoffers, if you remember, are hardened fools in Proverbs. Scoffers set a city aflame, but the wise turn away wrath. Scoffers set a city aflame. How do they do that? They stir the pot. They don't give any thought to how they can solve a conflict. They, they may even escalate tensions because they enjoy arguing or fighting or they, 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 they don't care about seeing peace. They just want to argue and they inflame a situation to make it worse. And Proverbs says wise people, they don't do that. Wise people do everything within their power to calm things down. A wise person will see someone else's wrath, their anger building. They'll see anger building in a conversation or a situation, and they'll say, you know what? I'm going I'm to try to bring the emotions down here if I can. I, I want to try to diffuse this if I can. It may be in a conversation they're having, or it may be in a conversation they're having where someone who's angry at someone else is telling them about it. Wise people try to de-escalate tension and conflict to promote peace. Imagine being someone so much like Jesus that your presence has a calming effect on others and would calm them in the midst of them being angry and wrathful towards someone else. Wise people promote peace that way. Wise people, wise people, secondly, wise people promote peace by learning to moderate their own temperament. Wise people promote peace starting with themselves by learning to moderate their own temperament. I use that word moderate because it simply means to not be excessive. And the reason I chose that word is because Proverbs doesn't tell us wise people never get angry. The Bible doesn't tell us that godly people never get angry. But what Proverbs does tell us is that it takes a lot to get a wise person to anger. It takes a lot to get them there. Proverbs 14.29 says, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly or foolishness. Proverbs 15.18 says, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. How in the world, if you're a hot-tempered person who is quick to anger, how in the world do you not do that anymore? And my response would be repentance and prayer. When you know that you have a short fuse and and you, you go off like, like a... a firecracker in just a moment's notice? Repent. Repent often and pray and ask God to help you to be a person of a cool spirit, as Proverbs puts it. That is one way you become a peacemaker. I mean, honestly, if we were, if we were slower to anger, it would just promote peace in our own homes. If we were slow to anger, it would promote peace in our workplaces. If we were slow to anger and promote peace in our extended families and our churches, anger is an emotion God has given us. There are times we should be angry. But what happens when we don't control our anger, when anger controls us, is that it causes us to think and act in ways that are really foolish. And it doesn't bring about peace. We don't de-escalate the situation. We make it far worse. Wise people, through repentance and prayer, learn how to become a person that has a much longer fuse and isn't so easily angered. Wise people, number three, wise people promote peace when they overlook an offense. Just FYI, they're not going to get any easier until we get to the end. But anyway, wise people promote peace by overlooking an offense. Here's another way to put it. Not every situation where someone offends you needs to be dealt with. Now, sometimes it does. Sometimes it would actually be very unhealthy to not deal with an offense. I would say especially if it is someone close to you that is doing it intentionally, or maybe even if they don't realize they're doing it, but it's over and over and over again then you probably need to address that. But many times, especially when it comes to unintentional offenses where someone really didn't mean to do it, wise people learn how to just let those things go. Wise people learn how to just let it pass. Proverbs 19.11 says, It is to one's glory to be able to overlook an offense. Proverbs 12:16 says it is to one's glory to ignore an insult. Proverbs 10:12 says love is the key to covering offenses. Now, love is not the key to covering up offenses, and that's really important to understand. To cover up intentional sin is often to promote injustice and to not actually help someone get better. But covering over sin means that you love someone, you're patient with them, you're patient with people because you know Christ is patient with you. Because you know that Christ shows you patience and love and so you want to reflect Him by showing that same thing to others. You understand that the way God has designed this whole thing is that when we get saved, we're not all made holy. Every single one of us in this room that are a Christian are in the midst of our sanctification. We're in the midst of becoming like Jesus. Which means we're not there yet. None of us. So we're going to sin. We're going to hurt each other's feelings. We're going to offend one another. One day we'll all be together with Jesus for all times and it won't be like that. But God did that in His wisdom. Which means we're all learning how to love and forgive and honor one another. We wouldn't know what it's like to be like Jesus in forgiving people if no one ever offended us. So God designed it that way. So we understand that people are on this journey that we're on. And we look at people outside the church. And we see things that they're doing that anger us. But we know they need Jesus. They need Christ. Just like we need Christ. Who are we? We're just people that Jesus called. And so that's how we see the world. That's love covering up offenses. And when we love people, and that love for people builds up in us, it will allow you to let some things go with no hard feelings. When I say let it go, I don't mean just let it go. Like I'm just not going to deal with that, but always be mad about it. Like no, we just we just let it go. I'm not going to relate to that person that way. I'm not going to bring it up. Going to let that one pass. Wise people know that there are times to do that wise people promote peace, number four, by avoiding slander and shutting down gossip. Wise people promote peace by avoiding slander and shutting down gossip. Proverbs 26.20 says, For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisper, quarreling ceases. One of the quickest ways to divide a group of people, one of the quickest ways to divide your family, your church, your workplace, is to make disparaging remarks about someone else when they're not around. When when you and I, when we make, and let's just be honest, we we all do this. When we make disparaging remarks about someone else, we influence how other people see that person. And and you know what? Sometimes we make disparaging remarks about someone else to someone they've never even met them before. It will take a lot of work for that image that you have just painted to them to be undone. It'll take a lot of work. But you know what? It also influences us. When we are the person who is disparaging someone else, those words actually get down in our own hearts. Sometimes we fan the flame of our own anger against someone else by expressing what they've done, not to them, but to others. Last week, I was frustrated at a co-worker and, and I, I was just couldn't believe something they'd done and I, I pulled up this little instant messaging window on my computer and I started typing out a message to another co-worker and I was just going to express that frustration about what they had done and as I'm typing I, I just realized that this is not wise at all Like this isn't helpful this, I mean it's true what I'm typing, but this is not helpful, this is not and the person I was going to send it to is not a believer I said, this is not going to make Jesus look beautiful. Proverbs says, slander can also be sharing something that you know about another person and what they've done or what they've said. For example, you might hear one person talking about someone else. But rather than address the person that's doing the talking, you go to the person that's been talked about and you tell them what was said. Proverbs 18:13 says Excuse me, Proverbs 17:9 says to repeat a matter is to separate close friends. It's not being a peacemaker, it's being a divider. Oftentimes we're the receivers of the gossip. We're not the ones out doing it. Someone just comes up to us and they just start sharing something and I've said this before, most of us if we admit it like we're intrigued. We want to hear it. Or, at the very least, it's awkward for us to say, you know what, maybe you shouldn't share that with me. You know what, maybe you and I shouldn't talk about this. Maybe you need to talk to them about it. Maybe in our minds we think, oh, they're going to think I'm holier than thou. I would say, be careful how you say it and shut it down. But that's being a peacemaker. Wise people know this. If you want a fire to go out, don't put any more wood in the flames. And wise people know if you want to make peace in a situation, don't put any more words in the conflict. Number five wise people promote peace with words that can heal. Wise people promote peace with words that can heal. What type of words bring healing? Gospel words. Gospel-saturated words. You and I would be wise to plan to be peacemakers. We would be wise to plan for those times where we get drawn into a conflict between brothers and sisters... And we want to be ready not to stoke that fire, but to have some gospel-saturated advice and counsel that will promote love and reconciliation among those people. It's so important in the church, so important in the family, so important for Christians, for you and I to step into that role, not, again, To be better than anyone else. But to step into the role of being someone who makes peace. What if that was our reputation? Peacemaker. They don't like seeing people in conflict. They don't like seeing people at odds with one another. They work to reconcile. The way you and I can plan to do that and be ready for it is by constantly taking in God's Word so that we have gospel-saturated counsel to give when it's time. Wise people plan peace, Proverbs 12.20 says. And wise people, their words bring healing, 12.18. I think 12.18 says that the foolish, their words are like sword, sword thrust. But the words of the wise bring healing. Foolish people know how to cut and harm and injure with their words, but wise people have the words of God that can heal people emotionally, mentally. We are wise to plan for those times when when we have a chance to speak into the life of an unbeliever and point them to Jesus with gospel-saturated words. Proverbs is so practical that it's frustrating at times. We need a steady diet of these wise sayings to remind us how wise people live and how Jesus lived. The reality is, and we've talked about this before, Josh has talked about it before, our natural inclination is not peace and unity. It's, it's, that's not. That's not sin has rewired us. Our natural position is disunity and conflict. And so we have to work at it. The reality is, Agape, it is easy to be a divider. It is easy to build up walls among people. Anyone can stir a pot. Anyone can separate friends. Anyone can put wood on the fire and keep a conflict going. Anyone can make peace with people they like and stay divided from those they don't. But only Jesus and only people that have the Spirit of Jesus in them can build bridges that result in others coming closer to God. And it is to our glory to desire to be like Jesus. Not like our natural tendencies. Our prayer focus this week in your handout is from James 3.18. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. To put another way, when you set your heart to be a peacemaker, it is like you are planting seeds that will one day erupt in a harvest of all kinds of good things. You may get to see some of that harvest or you may never get to see it. But what you do today to promote peace where you can will result in all kinds of good and all kinds of glory to Jesus in the future. So we're praying this week that our church will be filled with peacemakers. Those who desire to make peace, who aim to be like Jesus, who want to build bridges to help ease conflicts, turn away wrath, to help see people come back together who have been divided. To see people come to know Christ who don't know Him. That's what wise people do. And everyone around us will benefit when we try to become that wise person who promotes peace. I want to invite, ask if our worship team will come back up. And we're going to end today singing together and praying together. And asking for the Lord's help. Let me just say this. Everything that we've just talked about, what is from God and what is from His Word, every bit of this will be challenged in your life, maybe this afternoon. Everything we've just talked about will be challenged in your life tonight. And everything in this that we've talked about will be challenged in your life for sure this week. And in our natural. Power. We will be able to remember these words for a few hours, maybe tomorrow. But by the end of the week, the idea of being a peacemaker in our own power will succumb to our own desire for conflict or at least to give back to people what they're giving to us. So I say that to say to all of us, it is like anything else. If we want to be a peacemaker, we have to make this part of our diet of prayer. We have to make this part of our going before the Lord and asking Him, please help me. Please help me to remember Your Word. Please help me to be someone who builds bridges and promotes peace by how I live and by what I say. And we can start that this morning. We can start that today. Praying this prayer focus together. Where you are, if you want to come to the front, in just a moment there are going to be some prayer partners over here to my left. They'll pray with you. If that is something that you want to commit yourself to the Lord and ask Him to pray, ask Him to help you with. No one think anything bad about you to be prayed for about that because the reality is everybody, all of us, we struggle with this to some degree or another. I also want to invite you to be prayed for about anything. Such a need for us to hear sometimes another believer praying for us. So if you have a physical ailment you'd like To seek healing from, or just something else that's going on in your life that you, you know, relationship struggles or or life struggles, you want to be prayed for. The prayer partners would love to spend some time praying for you today. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for Jesus, our peacemaker. God, we are not your children because of what we have done but because you have chosen to make peace with us through Jesus God please let it never be a light thing the privilege of the gospel please let it never be a light thing the privilege of knowing Christ and God please help us to have that desire in our hearts to be in unity and fellowship with each other and not have any walls of division built up Please let it be in our hearts to be peacemakers. God, it's not our tendency. It's not mine. But I ask that the heart of Agape would be a church that wants to make peace with one another and build bridges that people might come to know the gospel. So God, would you please help us. Help us to be wise people who love peace and have no stomach for conflict outside of the conflict that we can't avoid because of our adherence to the Word of God. I ask You, Lord, I'm not asking you to make us weak people. We're not weak in peacemaking. It's when we're strong in You that we can overlook an offense and de-escalate wrathful situations, push back on natural tendencies of division, We need Your power to do that. Help us. I ask today, God, if there is anyone here or that listens to this sermon later who doesn't know Jesus, who doesn't know the peace of God that comes from Christ, would You let today be the day that they know peace with You through belief in Jesus? And if that is you this morning, if you know something is going on in your relationship with Christ that you need to talk about, please see me before you leave today. Just let me know that. You can do it right now or you can do it when the service is over. But don't leave here without us having that conversation. And I'll get with you at a later time. Let's pray. Let's sing. Let's worship. Let's thank God for His peacemaking among us and ask Him to make us peacemakers in His image.